got a great sound to play in Hello? Have you ever snubbed a lady? Um, we had a technical problem. Are we on? Yeah. Put it on there. Can I swear? Shit! Oh, yeah. Welcome to Crunch and Roll. I'm John Fox, known to some as Foxy, did breakfast shows across the UK. Uh, more recently, a little bit of work for the BBC. Now, listen, when we started Crunch and Roll, we wrote a list of people who would like to get on. And very near the top of that list was today's guest, Joe Russell. And I text her and she blocked my number. Then I changed my number, I tried again, but she was washing hair that night. And uh, next time I got uh, I got one of those, I'll check my diary replies. And then absolutely nothing for some time. But finally, she relented and we've got her. And we're glad she did because her stories are brilliant. We hear about how she had a day job as well as being on the wireless at night very early on in her career. How cheeky Nottinghamians pretended to be her and how she nearly became co-presenter on one of the UK's biggest breakfast shows. Before we start, just a quick reminder that if you do enjoy the podcast and you are a regular listener, we'd be grateful if you could support us on Ko-fi. So uh, all you need to do is head to ko-fi.com slash crunch and roll. And also, can I just say thank you to our latest supporters, Jamie London, thank you. Simon Clark, a thank you. David Moses, top man. Stephen Jay, Stacey Harris, James Pycos, Matt Deegan, all of you legends, one and all. Thank you so much. Now, with strong language, you're going to love it. Let's crunch and roll. Oh, yeah. Joe, how are you? I am very good, darling. How are you? I'm really good. It's, it's genuinely, it's, I've not seen you for so many years. It's lovely to, to see your beautiful face again. Well, thank you for lying, but that's good. Um, <laughs> it is weird, isn't it? Because I, when you said, will you do this? I was trying to work out when I last saw you. And in my head, it was about a year ago. <laughs> that's yeah. why, it, and, and it's not. How many years will it be now? Seven? I would say it's seven Six. or eight years yeah, ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, it was a long, long time ago. I know, but in my head, I'm only 27 anyway, so... Jeez, God knows. Well, and, that's, and that's how you look. Thank so, you, thank you. So, I mean, uh, you, you say that the first thing you thought was of was, was when was the last time that you saw me? I think the first thing you thought of was, should I do this? Because you were a little bit hesitant to be on here, weren't you? Yeah, I was for many reasons. Firstly, I still work in radios and I still would like to. So <laughs> it made me go, oh God, what the hell can I say? And what what does he, what's he going to ask me? Because, you know, it's, there might be some awkward questions, but here we are and, and I'm prepared to do it. Um, and secondly, I was like, God, what does anybody want to hear from me? Like, genuinely, like, are you absolutely sure? I don't know what I've got to tell you. So if this if this episode is like 10 minutes long, I'll go, yeah, well, that's, that's how interesting I was. Can I just say that that's what every guest says? Is Everybody. it? Yeah, it genuinely is. Everybody always goes, well, why do you want to speak to me? I'm not that interesting. But we, you know, every, I think we've all got a story to tell, haven't we? I think so. But I think because I still do it, like, and I speak for four hours a day about, you know, my life and crap. It's just like, oh, God, what else is there to say? Like, I do it all the time. I do it so often that I... I'm sick of my own voice. So I, I, it makes me go, what, I don't know what else there is to say. I don't know. But but we'll find out over the next half an hour, I suppose. Or 10 minutes, let's see. Or 10 see minutes, yeah. <laughs> if it was 10 minutes, Foxy, would you just put it out? And go, yeah, that was all we could get out of her. It was just the 10. Oh, God. Right, I mean, we, we say every single episode, our, our research is always lacking, so please correct me if any of these are incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, is it true that you were born in London? Yeah, I was born in Ealing. Didn't know that. London where, yeah, but I was only there, like I was still in nappies when we moved, I think. So I was born in Ealing, that's what's on my birth certificate, should you be interested in forging, that's what's on there. Um, and then I moved to Bradford, uh, with mum and dad. And then when they split up, we moved to York eventually, right. uh, which is where I essentially, I think we moved there when I was about 10 to York. And that's essentially where I grew up and, uh, yeah, fled the nest. My family are still in York. So, yeah, I, I, and I've been around with radio, so I feel like I've been all over the place. But my heart is in York, but there is a small part of it in London. It's still there. 
Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. that. Is it true that you worked for Coca-Cola at the beginning of your career? Yeah. Coca-Cola Schweppes Beverages Limited. How may I help you? <laughs> I've still got it. I've still got it. You haven't lost it, yeah, Joe. I know. I could do it now. That was in, I think that was in Uxbridge. I think their head, their head office was in Uxbridge, but it was just a temp job. So I moved to London when I was about 17, I think, 18, to try and find fame and fortune and um, got a job as a temp at Coca-Cola just on the like switchboard. So there were six of us um, and it was a good switchboard because it was one of those where you could just lose people if you didn't know what to do with them. Oh yeah, I'm just going to put you through. And then, and then you might never get them again. So yeah, we had it was fun, but it, it was it was not a career for me. Next fact that we found, and I think this one is true, having been a friend of yours, um, it says on online that your net worth is five million dollars. Jesus Christ! <laughs> it does not say that. I swear it does, just. <laughs> On what? Where On, does it say that? I will send you the link. It says that you've got a net worth of $5 million. <laughs> Joe well, Russell, is that true? That is, it, I'm so excited that anybody would think <laughs> I was capable of earning that. I was just, just saying to you before we started recording, we've just downsized. We live opposite <laughs> a pub and near a, day, near a Chinese takeaway. If, if I was worth $5 million, <laughs> let me tell you right now, I would not have just downsized my house. Uh, so it is not true. Here's a question for you. If you were worth $5 million, would you still be getting up to do a breakfast show? Uh, ish, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> I've been doing it so long that I like, I just think if I, if I was worth $5 million, the stress of, I've got to pay my mortgage, please, keep, please let me have a contract, that stress would go. And so I think I'd still want to do it. But it would just be a real different prospect because I feel like now I've got to pay bills. I've got to pay yeah. mortgage. And so there is a real, oh, my God, what happens when I'm too old? What am I going to do next? All of that is, is constantly in the back of my mind. Five mil? Yeah, I'm going to go on. <laughs> Might even swear because it doesn't matter. Uh, so, yeah, I think the stress would be a lot less. Yeah, but I think I would still, shit, I do love it still. Do you still love it? Yeah, I do. I really do still love it. It's hard at times and it's getting harder because I've done uh, breakfast hours for so long and to done a breakfast show. It gets harder each year because what are we going to do at Christmas this year that I've not done for the last 27 years or whatever it is? <laughs> and so it is harder. It is getting harder and I'm getting older and the brand I work on at Gem is, is younger. And so... Keeping up with all of that is hard, but I still have a good time. Like, I still have a proper laugh. Good. So, yeah, while, whilst, whilst that is still the case, yeah, I, I still want to do it. All right, so let's go right back to the start. You moved to, to York, um, and you, you went to York Hospital Radio. So, you, like many of us, you started at Hospital Radio in York. Yes, I did. I, I just knew, I knew when I was at school that this is what I wanted to do. Really? Like, no, there was just no question in my mind that I was going to do it. I think I wrote to Radio 1 when I was like 14 going, hello, never done this before, but I absolutely can. So why aren't you employing me? I was that ballsy. I was that person. And I just, just knew I could do it. I just really believed from like 13, 14 years old. And then I, I didn't get into radio. <laughs> I had 10 years of rejection letters. Telling me, no, you got no experience. Why didn't you get some experience? Because you won't give me any experience. <laughs> yeah. That is why. Um, but yeah, I did it eventually. It took a long time, but I was not going to give up. I really knew I wasn't going to give up. So hospital radio did it for me, which is, which is still, I believe, a really good way of learning what type of presenter you want to be, if that makes mm. sense. Cause no, absolutely. I feel like when you start, you do try and mimic your favorite presenters. <laughs> Who did you try and mimic? Well, for me, it was like Jackie Brambles and people like that. And on Viking Radio, there was a woman, I don't know if she still does it, Diana Luke was uh, on evenings. I'm older than you, Foxy, so you may not have heard of these people. Um, <laughs> so I remember writing down phrases that these people used to say and going, I'm going to fit that into my broadcast too. And then thinking that was the absolute way to do it. So, yeah, it takes a while to go, oh, no, you, you know, you can just become your own presenter and just do you. And, but that takes a while. And, you know, doing live 
shows on hospital radio was invaluable, like really invaluable. So your first professional gig is uh, in Harrogate. So posh, so Joe Russell. Thank you. Um, at Stray FM doing weekends. Yes. How did you get the gig? The guys, some of the guys at York Hospital Radio were part of the Stray FM massive, I don't know what you call them, the people that, <laughs> that made Stray FM or founded it or whatever. And so they just, they just gave me a, a chance. I used to get five pounds. Wow. Five pounds, yeah. So they'd essentially pay for petrol. And uh, yeah, I, I just did a, a one weekend show. The first show I did, I turned up. And of course, I'd never done a professional show before. And it was like a Sunday afternoon, I think. And when I got there, the, one of the guys said to me, oh, you're, just let you know, you're doing the album chart. I went, okay, great. And they handed me a box of CDs and said, so that's, that's your top 20? And I said, okay, what about the, or the, the rest of the playlist? Oh, have you not bought your own CDs? <laughs> think of that now, Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was a real shit I've got to do a show and I don't I really I actually don't know what I'm doing and I've been asked why I haven't brought my own CDs so that was a absolutely not the way to do radio by the way uh, but yeah I eventually found my found my feet and I really did enjoy doing that Sunday afternoon was a nice time to be on and the the listeners were it was just one of those things where I got a real load of interaction bit of a lazy Sunday afternoon type show and yeah, I, I loved it. I didn't love just getting five pounds, but you know, I, I did love doing it. It added to that five million dollars. Um, sure, I'm, sorry, <laughs> I'm just going to look under the sofa and all sorts of shit now for money. <laughs> so, I mean, were you any good when you were on Stray? Uh, my mum thought so. That's enough. I, yeah, I think that is enough. In it, I don't. I don't even know if I was any good. I think I always. I always backed myself. And I always had faith that whilst I wasn't totally sure I would ever get a full-time job at Stray, that I, that I just could, I could do it. And I, it, the problem I think for me there was that I was just like a Sunday afternoon presenter. So you just don't get any attention or any training really. Well, as you've heard, here's some albums for an <laughs> album chart that we never told you you were going to do. Why don't you do that? So yeah, I, I mean, it wasn't the, the place where I learned how to do it properly, I wouldn't say. So I don't know if I was any good. I had a good time. I was thrilled for the bloody experience and the chance for, for definite. So the, the next move, you, you go to, to Minster FM in York mm -hmm. to, do, to do overnights to start? Yeah, I did overnights. And um, th there was a real shift there because because they didn't give me a contract so I was just doing overnights so I also it's one of my favorite stories by the way because it just makes me sound like the hardest working person ever so I do overnights at Minster I would go home have a shower and then go and work at General Accident Insurance Company all day and then go home sleep to midnight or whatever it was get up and do I did that for a year like where I was doing both of those shifts because they didn't give me a contract. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just do, I'll just do both then. I'll do it all. I'm good. I can do all this. So, well, so, so when, when did you sleep? Yeah, kind of. Well, it was flexi time at General Accidents. So <laughs> I could finish at four and go home and, and just like sleep till like 11 or I, don't, I can't remember what time my shift was. But yeah, I just slept then and then got up and did it all again. I know, it's, it seems crazy now, especially at my age. I'm like, please just let me have some sleep. Yeah, but yeah, we, I did we, it. You had to go that extra mile at that time, though, didn't you? We all, we all had to do the extra Yeah, I, I think I did. And, and that's why I'm really pissy when people nowadays don't want it. Oh, I'm not doing that. Oh, well, piss off then. I've done it. <laughs> I'm a feel a bit like that, like a bloody an old mad auntie to young people. I'm like, well, I worked two full-time shifts and so, so can you. Uh, but yeah, I did. I liked it. I liked doing overnights, but I had, I came off it because I think I filled in for a guy. I can't remember his name. I filled in for a guy doing early breakfast and then I stopped on and did a bit of um, travel news on the breakfast show and they were looking for a, like a regular travel presenter and I did not get that. But I thought I'll, I'll just hang around. I'll do early breakfast I, I, I started doing early breakfast for a while 
And then I went on holiday and this guy covered for me. And afterwards I said to him, oh, just for a laugh when we were pissed at a barbecue, I went, oh, thank God you weren't that good. Otherwise you'd have nicked my job. And anyway, the day after I was told I was back on overnight <laughs> because he, he nicked my job. No. And I'd made a freaking gag about that round a bloody barbecue thinking that was funny and he just looked at me I can't remember his name I wish I could but yeah that was a bit soul destroying so I I, I felt like oh I've got to leave gotta leave this place so yeah I just kept applying everywhere I was applying everywhere all the time because you know you, you need a contract don't you you want to you want to do it properly so so after Minster FM um uh, <laughs> and selling insurance during the day incredible um I didn't realise this. So you go to Ram FM in Derby mm-hmm. and then you immediately go on breakfast with Twiggy. No, we. I was with Ian Skye for a year. Oh, really? Yeah, so it was Skye and Russell, as the show was called. We did that for a year. I did uh, not know that. And Twiggy was our events manager at the radio station and he uh, he used to just do some OBs for us. And we just clicked Twiggy and I right, right from the start. We were proper good pals and it sounded good on air. So eventually when Ian left, um, yeah, they put Twiggy and I on together. So we were, yeah, it was about a year in, I think. I think I did a year with Ian Sky, And then Twiggy came along and, yeah, and, on, and off we went, frankly. It was amazing. So did you two, as you said there, you just hit it off straight away with Twiggy? Yeah, it's just, and we're still really good friends. We still see each other. Um, a lot and and I'm glad I'm glad because we we shared I think we did 13 years together on air but during the good times of of my career like during the we've got all this budget for you times so we had a really really good time and we really enjoyed it and you can't you can't fake chemistry I, I really believe that. I think you can just tell if people don't like each other yeah. or don't genuinely click. And and we just did. And it was easy because of that. It was just so easy. I mean, you know, there were times when we wanted to twat each other over the head, I'm sure. But, you know, <laughs> but we but we genuinely, every time that we were tired and aggy with each other, we could always just go for a drink and be fine, like within half an hour. You know, we were, we were good pals. I mean, I'm godmother to one of his kids and that. We were proper close. So why do you think it worked so well? Because you, am I right in saying that you're both different characters or am I wrong in saying that? Um, I mean, we've probably got closer in character as we've got older, but I was, uh, like he was married and I was single. And so we just, we had different upbringings. He grew up on a farm and then became a builder and he didn't really get into radio till he was older. I mean, he's a hundred now, so (laughs) 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 so he was older than me. So it was... We, we have the same sense of humour, which I think is important because you've got to make each other laugh. Yeah. So that, and that's where you get the chemistry from, I think. But we definitely had different, different lifestyles at the time. I was out clubbing constantly. And, you know, we just brought different things to the table. So I think now as we've got older, we are, we're definitely closer in character for sure. So, I mean, you start the breakfast show together with Twiggy on Ram FM, but then, of course, in 1998, you go to Trent FM, which that was that was a beast of a show, wasn't it? It was a beast, and it it was like promotion for us because what well, the great thing that we found at Ram FM, which I don't even think you get nowadays, is we were part of a big group but a really small station, so they left us alone. They didn't give a shit about us. Yeah, they yeah. barely knew our names. And so <laughs> we could try all sorts of stuff. We could just get away with doing stuff. And we were on nobody's radar at all. And, and that is what made it work. And eventually there was a real turnaround of, oh, well, why can't people, I don't know, in wherever it was, Essex do what Joe and Twiggy are doing and why can't blah, blah, blah. We had a real yeah. turnaround, but it was because we were left alone, because we had no interference when we were at Ram FM, it, because they just didn't deem it as a very important radio station. And certainly in the East Midlands, it was really the 
inferior radio station to Trent. Trent was the biggie and everybody wanted to be on Trent FM. So yeah, we were we were a bit gobsmacked when we were asked to do it, to be honest. We we couldn't really get our heads around why. But yeah, we were there for 10 years at Trent. So, I mean, you won awards, which we can get onto in a bit, but I mean, who, who was your boss when you, who brought you into Trent? Uh, Dick Stone did. So we were, right. Dick Stone was our boss initially at Ram and then he got the job at Trent and then we had Rob Wagstaff. Um, so we had him for a couple of years who is like, just one of the best coaches ever. He's, he's, when you're at that stage of your career, which was like really early for me, because I'd never had a coaching session at Minster and Stray. So we were getting coaching sessions every single day from Rob Wagstaff. And then, yeah, Dick Dick poached us. What was it like? Odd, odd phrase to say. Yeah, it is an odd, odd phrase. <laughs> <laughs> Can we, let's, not, let's not crack that joke too many times because he's coming up in the next couple of weeks. All okay. Right, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with Dick. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I, I want to talk about, because um, I remember at Trent you had um, a really, and you might disagree, but I'm sure you won't. Didn't you, you had a really talented producer when you were on Breakfast Yourself and Twiggy. Who was that? Yeah, it was Mark Hitchings. We called him Brains. Brains, yes. Yeah, it was Brains. And we, I think we took a year or so to find the right producer. It took us ages to find the right one. And he, I don't think he'd done much before he came to Trent. Um but and it took us a long time to click as a three, right. um, and we really stuck it out because we just we we really hoped it would work. And he, who I mean, he was a kid. I don't even know how old he was when he came to us. Maybe even like nineteen, twenty. He was a he was a kid, and he was moving away from his family home for the first time, and all of this stuff. Um, so it just took a while. It took a while for us to get there, I think. But yeah, when the three of us clicked, it was it was quite something. Yeah, it was really really good. Can, can you remember some of the things that you did on air, be it features or, you know, the story arcs? I mean, I just want to hear about some of the things that, that made that show so successful over the 10 years. I mean, I just, I, I think it was a lot easier than it is certainly for us now because we're a regional radio station where we are now. And when we were at Trent, it, well, we were Nottingham focused. So we, everything was Nottingham. So if there was any campaign for Nottingham, we would get behind it and we would do it. And I remember a biggie for us was um, there were some roadworks in the city that everyone was really pissed off about. And the council didn't know what to do because they were going to be there for like ever. And it was just not funny. And so we decided we would speak to the council and get a better route through the city which we managed to do and they let us call it the Joe and Twiggy diversion Amazing. and so they so they put up all the signs like the proper road signs and it just calmed the city down almost it was like oh well that's fine because we're going to go through the Joe and Twiggy diversion and all these signs are up still you know everyone's fucking stuck in traffic but it just <laughs> it just worked on all levels and it was it was that sort of thing where you can just get behind a local community which I, I hope doesn't sound too twee and shit but it was that sort of thing that really really made it work for sure do you know, it was interesting. So one of our previous guests was was Andy Bush, of course, before um, he, he went to Absolute, was with uh, Bush and Troy, the double act. Mm. We, myself and Tom, we were at uh, 210, you were at Trent. So the same with GCAP, obviously. And I was saying to, to, to Bush that I was saying that because I was working with another guy that all the managers used to say, well, what you two need to do is sound like Bush and Troy. And I also talked about the fact that if you were in a male and a female act, that everyone used to say, you need to sound like Joe and Twiggy. Mm. Did that piss you off? Uh, no, I kind of, I think I found it flattering. Right. Because, because I just never had that sort of, uh, it felt a bit like, oh, we're doing something right. This is good. Maybe you should pay us a bit more. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it did feel, it felt quite nice really. And when we used to go to boot camps, people were, people have always been super nice to us they've we, we really got on fabulously with people I remember um I remember when Notting Hill the movie came out we did a a spoof ad like the Notting Hill trailer 
but for Nottingham. So it was Nottingham instead of Notting Hill. Yeah. And I remember people saying to us at a boot camp, you know that um, we were told to do something like that. You, that's what you've got to be doing. That's what Joe and Twiggy do. But they didn't freaking live in Nottingham. So like, everyone was going, well, how can we do this? How on earth can we do it? And people had, like the bosses had gone to people saying, you need to do a Notting Hill trailer. And it was like, no, that's, that's not the point. So I, I think other people might have been a bit more pissy about that than, than we were. I think we were, we were genuinely quite flattered by it. Well, I, I, I openly admitted to Bush that it really used to piss me off. <laughs> but it did. So I, and I said to him, you know, and this, everyone who listens to Crunch and Roll will have heard this, you know, a few episodes back. But I didn't want to be Bush and Troy. I wanted to be me. And, yeah. I, you know, and, and, you're, yeah. and you're right. I mean, who... Unless Cottingham FM, you know, do yeah, the same exactly. trailer. Who else is going to do that trailer and it make any sense? It is weird though as well, because even if it's like a male, female, you've got you've got to be, you're still different people to us or to Bush and Troy. Yeah. Like you're still, you still got to do your own thing. And yeah, well, that's when you question bosses. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and as you said at the start, you want to keep your job. So let's sure, move Sure, and I that. loved yeah. all my bosses, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not true. <laughs> is this going out or is it just in our headphones? This is fine. It's a technical problem. You heard something on air you shouldn't have done. Oh, yeah. So when you first moved to Trent, who who were the owners of Trent at that time? When was you it first GWR moved? probably? Was it yeah, GWR maybe? It would have been. Yeah. yeah. And then of, of course, I mean, I, I moved to 210 when it was GWR and then I went through the GCAP thing just like yourself. I mean, how, how was the GCAP move for you? I think it was okay. I don't remember it being bad because I think we'd already established ourselves uh, with the bosses, I think. I think we'd already established ourselves in the 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 company and, you know, we were really on at Steve Orchard. Well, now we're in a London radio station, so maybe we should be there. And we never did. We, he never let us. Um, but I think it just gave us more more opportunity. And I, I that was another, another time because of GCAP. Johnny Vaughan was on... Uh, Capital, who's one of my all-time radio idols. And I was like to Steve, well, if you won't take me in Twiggy, I'll just have to go and do it with Johnny Vaughan. And really was like balls. He was like, well, I, I'm the right person for that job. It's me. I'm the one. But never got that opportunity. Uh, wish I had, but but didn't. It just, But it just gave you the thought that maybe one day you could. I, and I, I just, I don't know. I don't I just don't remember thinking it was a bad thing. I just... We were just treated very well at Trent and Steve Orchard was still in charge and Dirk, Anthony and all of those people that we'd, we'd been around for many years were still our bosses. And so because we were already, you know, great friends with them and they'd done as well, I don't think we thought it was going to put us out at all. And yeah, we, 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 did, we did okay with them. I'm sticking to Trent because, I mean, it was such a huge part of your life. Mm. I'm all right in thinking, would that have been the highlight of your career? And, and um, I, I know what you're going to say. Well, no, Gem's great. And I, I, I get that. But No, was, it's, was... it's all been different. So, I mean, it's, it was the glory days. And, and for me, like nobody can take that away. It, but it was the glory days for a reason um, that we had one marketing team focused on our show. We had a great lineup after us. All day they were saying, listen to breakfast tomorrow. Listen to, they've got this big money to give away. We had a marketing budget to die for. We were going to American boot camps every year for training. <laughs> like they would pay for that. It was really, it was, it was the glory days and, and it worked and millions of pounds were, were um, put into that radio station. Like they, the advertising was through the roof and it all came together at the right time when companies were buying advertising we were having the time of our lives. We had a huge team. I mean, it's stupid to think about nowadays. We used to have, every single time we were on air, Twiggy and I would have two or three promotional Jeeps, the Black Thunders, out every day. Even if there was no nothing for them to do, they would drive around. So we had a presence in Nottingham. And, and weirdly, Foxy... Shit, that worked. So, you know, <laughs> all of that stuff, all of that marketing, all of that help, it, it absolutely, it worked. And so it was, it was the, the glory days of my career by, by a country mile. 
Um, so yeah, it definitely was. I mean, I'm not dissing what I've got now and I'm, I'm having a great time, a really, really good time. Like I said at the beginning, I still love doing this. Um, it, and, and I, and I wish we had the same budget. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> and then maybe I hear those glory days can come back. I don't know. Do you know, the other thing as well, of course, I mean, I know that now you're in, in, a, in a wonderful relationship with a man who looks like a fighter pilot and, you know, he, he, he's a, a very sure. lovely man. But whilst you were single on Trent FM, let's mm-hmm. be honest, you, you and Twiggy were, you were famous in the city of Nottingham. I mean, did you have a great time? I mean, you mentioned being out clubbing all the time. Yeah, my record, because, well, I've already told you, absolute <laughs> grafter who needs sleep. My record of doing a breakfast show was... 16 nights out on the trot whilst, whilst doing breakfast. Woo! So, yeah, I had a good time. I had a really good time. It was, um, it was tricky, I think, because we were crazy well-known. Um, and certainly back when we were doing it, there was no social media, right? Yeah. So people knew if I laughed in a pub, people would go, oh, I recognise that laugh. So that's what I would get. I would get, I recognize that laugh. Or if they'd seen us like in the local newspaper or whatever. But people did not know what we looked like necessarily. And so I had constantly a a stream of, oh, you're not, you're not Joe. Oh, yes, I am. Hello. No, you're not Joe. And I would go, yeah, I am. And they'd say, well, who was that girl that I was chatting up who said she was Joe? And I would have a lot of, Freaking rumours about me, Foxy. Oh, really? True. Yeah. <laughs> we had once, once, I got some flowers, right, <laughs> sent to the radio station, bunch of flowers from a guy called Craig. Remember it as if it was yesterday. And he said, uh, lovely to meet you. Thanks for last night. Didn't give you my number, right? So the, on the card for these flowers was a number. <laughs> well, of course we rang him on air. We're not stupid. So we ring him on air and he goes, oh, Oh, it was so good when it was so lovely to meet you. And I said, um, I've got something to tell you. It wasn't me. And he was like, yes, it was. It was. You said blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, it wasn't me. Now, luckily, Twiggy and I had been working at Notts County Football Club the night before. So I did have an alibi. Um, (laughs) And we had to just say to him, I'm sorry, darling. It absolutely wasn't me. And yeah, that was a bit gutting for him. But I had some lovely flowers, so it's fine. But things like that would happen all the time. Like we'd have... Um, I remember a nightclub owner coming for a meeting, like a sales meeting, and they introduced me to him and he said, he was another, you're not Joe. And I was like, yes, I am. And he said, well, who's the girl that comes into my club every week and gets in for free and has a free table with free drinks? And I was like, I don't know, but it ain't me. That used to upset me a bit because I was just like, oh, fuck, I don't want people to think I'm going into clubs demanding all sorts of shit. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll take it, by the way, yeah. if it was offering, but not, yeah. I don't demand. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it was tricky, but that was, the th- that was also a little bit of my uh, downfall. Towards the end of Twiggy and I, I was just, I was sick of that level of, I can't even go to Tesco without somebody going, really? oh, I thought you were under the light. What are you buying that for? And all that. Like uh, it was, it did get to me in the end. I always think like I want to be hugely successful in radio, um, but I'm also intensely private, <laughs> which is stupid because of the job that I do. I really, it's important to me to keep something back um, and just have something for me. Whereas it, it, Twiggy wants to be recognized all the time. Uh, he still does. He still is. Um, he he loved that side of it. It was a real big thing for him. You know, if he went to the local butchers and they repeated a gag that he'd done on the show, it would be the best day of his life. Whereas <laughs> I would be like, never fucking going in that butchers again. <laughs> so yeah, we we were really quite different in that, and it got intense. Like it was it was stupidly intense. And I think I, I think I don't think it would matter to me much now because I'm a bit older. But yeah, it did used to get to me a bit. So, Joe, um, I mentioned briefly before that, of course, yourself and Twiggy, you you ended up walking away with a lot of awards, of course, Sony's as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it felt at one point that you two just kept winning every year. There's little point anybody else entering. Did that feel the same for you? Yeah, thanks. Great time. <laughs> yeah, we had a really good time. We didn't get gold, you know. People think we got a load of Sony golds and we, we never did. But what we did, which I... 
to this day say is better is we got silver to legends. So it was, we just felt we were in really hard categories, entertainment um, awards. So you're up against uh, Chris Evans and Moyles and Terry Wogan um, and all of those legends. And we, we got silver. So we were in that pack. And so for me, it was much better to be second to Wogan. I mean, if you'd have told 14-year-old me that you'd be second to Wogan in an award ceremony, good God, I could not, I'd never turn that down. And we we were just, I think because we were always the underdogs. So when the, the Sony Award nominations were announced, it was people like Ricky Gervais was in an entertainment category with us at one stage. And got a story about that in a tick I'll tell you in a second but when you're in categories like that and then it's just oh and um these people no one's ever heard of Joe and Twiggy (laughs) we became the underdogs but in a super sweet way it made the industry so kind to us like Steve Wright mentioned us on Radio 2 um, oh, it's got to be their year. He would say, it's got to be Joe and Twiggy's year. We're all rooting for you. And it wasn't. Uh, we didn't. We never got a gold. Um, and people like that would... We uh, Who was the guy? Mark and Lard did... Who's the Mark? Mark... Mark Radcliffe. Radcliffe was doing a Sony show, like a radio show, and he would want us to be on it. Like, you know, all the stars that were there, all the big players in radio, and he'd go, no, 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 I want Joe and Twiggy. And like, we were always pissed on that freaking show every year because because we always treated it like this might be the last time we're here and so we've got to make the most of it and I believe that it's so it was such a fun time for us you know to be sat on a table next to uh, on the table next to Terry Wogan is just bonkers Twiggy had a piss next to Chris Moyles uh, that was lovely, and he'd been slating us on his radio show. I was going to bring. I was going to bring that up. I remember him yeah. slating you. Yeah, he did. He, he slated us. He said something like, oh, "I'm going to kill myself if Joe and Twiggy beat me <laughs> to this award." And Twiggy's, you know, at the urinals with him and said, "Oh, all right, I'm the one that uh, you're going to kill." <laughs> and so, like, yeah, it was just super sweet. It was really not, people were lovely, apart from Moyles, God love him. Um, people were lovely to us. Like the industry were lovely to us because we just became the sweet underdogs and we were grateful. Like we we didn't go to those awards expecting anything. We went absolutely hopeful, but absolutely determined to to have a, the best night ever. I mean, we would cry when we won a, a silver. It meant that much to us. We just appreciated it and enjoyed it and and you know got freaking trashed we, I mean we really drank a lot we we obviously want to hear the Ricky Gervais story so about three weeks after I was in a the same category as Ricky Gervais the entertainment category at the Sony's I turned on his radio show I guess he was XFM maybe at the time I just turned it on one Saturday morning and he was talking about me. And like, I get goosebumps even saying that out loud now. Like, that's bonkers. (laughs) He was talking about these awards he'd been at and he'd gone round Vox Popping, other celebrities, saying, what do you think about the fact that Joe and Twiggy have beaten me to an award? Like, I think, (laughs) I don't know who got, maybe Moyles got gold, we got silver. And he probably, I don't even know if he got, bronze I don't know but he'd gone round like real tongue in cheek he was being really sweet about us but the fact that fine hell I turned the radio on and literally he was talking about this ceremony and then went into this fun vox pop of trying to get other celebrities to slag off the fact that Twiggy and I who he'd never heard of had beaten him to an award blows my mind to this day like I've got, ah, I've got goosebumpy thinking about that. What a, what a thing! Like, and he's a. We've interviewed him a couple of times. He's the most generous. Like he laughs at your jokes. He's not there just for you to laugh at him. He's a real generous talker. If that makes sense. If that's a sentence. Um, but yeah, God, I loved it. I loved those days. Loved it. And look, aside from the Sonys, you you got the Radio Academy Local Regional Lifetime Achievement Award in 2014, and you're a Sony Awards judge? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a Sony Awards judge. Um, I've done a a couple of categories, and again, that's bonkers, because I had to go to Radio 2 to do one, 
there's a whole uh, there's five usually about five judges on each panel, and then you have the, like the head judge, the Simon Cowell of the judging panel. And my head judge one year was Bob Shannon from Radio Two, so we had to go to Radio Two to, and sit in his office. And there's me and him and Mark Goodyear. I'm like, hello, hello. <laughs> Don't speak. Obviously, I went for it. Um, it's real. It's really fun, depending what category you get. Because if you get a category where there's 40 entries and each entry is an hour, that Jeez. is some hardcore stuff. <laughs> so you, it's, it's like it's really time consuming. And the thing is, you have to, I remember Clive Dickens being my head judge one year. I rang him up and I said, Clive, do we have to listen to every single minute of every entry? Because it's driving me insane. Like, because there's so many people want to enter and that's brilliant. But when they're all an hour long, oh my God, it, you know, it can be a bit soul destroying. And he said, yes, Joe, everybody needs a fair chance. Yes, Joe. And I was like, okay, that's what we'll do then. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was real, it was real good fun. It's good. Nick, nicked a few ideas. All great. We're having a park. Let's move on to, to the next move then. So Absolute in 2008 to do to do weekend mornings. I fully appreciate that this is a huge move for you. Mm. But I'm just interested, how how did you just say to Twiggy, that's it, I'm sorry I'm leaving? Or I, I mean, how I, did that all happen? I always wanted to try London. And Twiggy and I tried together. Because we used to get really pissy with um, Steve Orchard, who was head of our group at the time. Yeah. And we'd go, well, you keep telling us we're the best, but you won't fucking put us on capital, will you? <laughs> and we were, <laughs> so we, and they just didn't think we'd work in London, which is, of course, in retrospect, absolutely fine. But I just always wanted it. I always, ever since I was that 14-year-old girl saying, I want to I want to do Radio 1, I, I just always wanted London. I wanted to try it. So I had it written into my contract that if I got a job at a London radio station, I could leave. Um, wow. And and you know what? I actually think that they put that in there because they never fucking thought I would. Yeah, I was going to say that. I, was I genuinely, say, yeah. I think they were like, oh, well, she ain't going to do that. And because it took me a, a while. And so Twiggy was always aware. And if ever I went for a chat or an interview, I I told him. So it was no, it wasn't a surprise. Uh, I think it was a bit gutting, but it wasn't, it wasn't a surprise. I, I made sure that he knew that that's what I wanted to do. And, and yeah, I just wanted my chance. I fucking loved it. So, so how did that, so a phone call or an email? Yeah, I, God, what did, I must've been, I, I can't quite remember, but I'm, I must've been sending demos. Um, and yeah, Clive Dickens, Clive Dickens called me for a chat. If you ever met Clive Dickens? Not yet. Oh my God. He's crazy good. He's crazy good. He called me for a chat and then he said, will you come down and uh, do a demo with Christian O'Connell? And I did that again after a hardcore week. One day, I'm in Nottingham. I'm driving to the O2 in London to see Michael Bublé. I drive back to do a breakfast show, two hours sleep, and then I'm on the train to do a demo with Christian O'Connell the day after. It was proper hardcore. And I did this demo because they wanted an extra voice on the show. And it was good. It was really good. And I loved it. And when I was on the train on the way back to Nottingham, Christian called me and he said, how did you feel it went? And I said, oh, I really, really enjoyed it. And he said, yeah, we did too. He was so lovely to me. He was really complimentary. And I thought, I've got this fucking job. I'm going to be on Christian O'Connell's breakfast show. And I did not get that job. I got, Why? What happened? Because, well, the, the way that, well, like when I went down and Clive said, I want you to come down, we, I want to chat, a serious chat now. I thought I've got it. I mean, it's, this is it. This is what I want to do. And he said to me, oh, you, you wouldn't be happy being a sidekick to Christian. And I went, yes, I would. Yes, I would. <laughs> I am absolutely fine. Please let me do this. And he said, no, 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 we want to offer you something, but we want to offer you your own show. Um, and I did not want that. Like I Isn't genuinely, that? I would rather at that time, I mean, it's worked out fine for me, but I, at that time I would have just rather have been on Christian's show 
as uh, some giggling buffoon. I was happy to be him mm-hmm. to be the star and me to just do shit. I really would. That's what I wanted. And it was quite daunting the way, the other way around. You know, what happened was quite daunting. I got weekend breakfast and I think I did three early breakfasts as well. So when, I guess Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then I did Saturday, Sunday, uh, my own weekend breakfast show. So, or weekend mornings, whatever it was. Um, Then it was daunting to do that. It was daunting. I remember a stage where Clive said to me, you are a Trent FM presenter who's on Absolute and we need you to be an Absolute radio presenter who used to work at Trent. And I was like, I don't know how. I don't know what to do. (laughs) Uh, My first actual time my voice was heard on Absolute was uh, was when Christian was off. My first show was covering for him. Like, fucking hell. Talk about throwing me in the bloody deep end. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I I had to do two weeks of breakfast, of actual breakfast, when I'd not done, like, national radio before. And it was, it was really nerve-wracking, really nerve-wracking. Even after all that time and all that stuff that I'd done, because you have, there's a real comfort level, you know, when you're in a duo. There's yeah, such yeah. a comfort level in, to the point where you don't really think about it. Like, yeah. you just know they're going to pick up what you say and they, you know they get what you're going to talk about. And, yeah, it was a real, real time for me. But, you know... <laughs> I mean, it was the same for Bush when he went to Absolute, of course, having left a, a long-time double act. And, and we talked about, you know, his time being solo. And he said it was just the hardest work ever. So, I mean, mm. was it the same? Because you, you, you do have to change your mindset, the way you present. And it, for people that don't present, if, you, if you're a solo presenter, you know, of which there are some fantastic solo presenters, that's a completely different skill to being in a... In a double act or in a in a I'm not going to say zoo because I'll kick myself in the balls, but in in a group of <laughs> do you know what I mean? Oh, in it, a zoo, it, 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 yeah, <laughs> zoo crew. But it's yeah. it's just a completely different skill, isn't it? And and for you to to go from you know being in a double act for so many years to then being on your own but on a I, national station. <laughs> yeah, but what what actually happened was that when I went to cover for Christian, they put me on with Ben Jones, who was on at the time, and they said, "Yeah, you do that with him. Like he's going right. to be there. He's your comfort blanket." And I didn't know him and I'd never met him. And London, very, very different. Really different. Like I remember a guy saying to me when I moved to London, you know, you've got to be a diva now. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, you're in London. You've got to make demands. I was like, I don't want to. I just want to work hard. I just want to be cool and, and, and have fun. And it, so there's a real different attitude. They're really different. So it was like fucking deer in the headlights shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know Ben and he was lovely, but I didn't know him and I didn't know the producers. I, ju- I didn't know anybody. Now, I think if I'm, as I'm older and as I've got like way more experience now, I think I would handle that so much different. I, yeah, w- I yeah. think it would be a real different prospect if I did it now. Um, but yeah, the, the, I mean, I did it. So it was great. It was great. And, and you know, working at Absolute was, was one of the best years of my life. You know, it was awesome. I want to talk about Paul Sylvester as well because you mentioned Clive Dickens. So was Clive the boss? He left, then Paul Sylvester came in because yeah, Paul was my producer. Right, so okay. He, not not when we did the first uh, covering Christians. I had Christians producer Brian at the time uh, and Rocky who was there. But yeah, Paul Sylvester was my weekend producer. Right. Okay. So yeah, so we did that show together and oh, shit, we had a good time. Like we had such a good time. And Christian had been doing it for ages, so he couldn't be asked to interview the uh, Hollywood stars and all the junkets, so we just grabbed them. So during the week, we were off to hotel rooms, you know, interviewing Harry Potter stars, and it was just, it was mad. It was a mad year. It was only there for a year, but it was a mad year. And Paul Sylvester was my producer, and we got on, I mean, he's my best friend now. Like, we're best friends still. You know, we still go on holiday together and um, I'm going to be there for New Year and all of that. Like, we're we're best mates and it was a real meeting of the minds. We just had one of the greatest years. And, well, I mean, his career has gone crazy mad since then, which, I mean, I, I feel responsible for, so... Of course, well, it's all down to you. <laughs> he can thank me, yeah. It's all down to you, Joe. Do you know, do you, I, I don't know if you can remember when I was coming to the, towards the end of, but they'd already booted Giuliano and I was coming towards my, my time at, at um, let's call it BRMB. 
Mm-hmm. Or free, pains me to say. And <laughs> I, I, I got in touch with Paul and said, oh, can we have a chat? And he said, because yeah, he's a lovely person. So I yeah, rang you and I said, Joe, I'm going to go and talk to Paul. I mean, what the fuck do I say to him? I would love to work at a station like Absolute. And mm. he was genuinely lovely. We went for a coffee, but he pretty much gave me the directions back to the train station. Oh, you know God, what I mean? did he? <laughs> no, but he was lovely. <laughs> but I mean, you, 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 uh, you think of him really highly, don't you, in, this, in the industry of, of, yeah. of what he did for you? Yeah, I mean, I really do. He it, uh, and like I say, we just became best friends because we had the same interests. We we just liked the same things. We were. He just looked after me. He looked after me while I was in in London. And you know, for for me to think that like that year that I went to Absolute, my grandma died and my dad died, wow. and I still think of that year as one of the best years of my life. Yeah. Because that's how much being down there meant to me. Like being in London meant everything. And where they were at Golden Square, I used to get a a car pick me up where I lived and take me into work. And every single day when the car drove down towards Piccadilly down Regent Street, it took my breath away. Like it did not disappoint once. Because it had, because I'd built up to this moment my whole life. And it's all I wanted to do. So there was a real freaking pressure on this thing yeah. for it to be good for me. And it was, it was, it never, didn't let me down once. And, you know, and when it came to an end and I did not know it was coming to an end, I thought I was going to be re-signed because two weeks before they told me that I wasn't having my contract renewed, they were asking me to go to uh, do uh, some stuff for a month with the troops in Iraq and we want you to do it. They were so sweet to me. We want you to do it because you will be able to do it with a bit of uh, humor and empathy and all that good stuff. And they were booking me in to do that. And so I had no clue that I was being let go. And, and then when I was being let go, the way that they did it, which I was not used to, was so good <laughs> that it almost felt like the right thing like <laughs> Clive Dickens said to me look you know it's, it, we, we are going in another direction you know you've been great and we're going in another direction and blah 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 all these they were you know getting a few more famous people on and all that stuff and he said but you need to celebrate your time here he said your last show should be like the what did he say your last show should be like the end of Friends like of the series of friends it should be that celebratory and that good and you know don't go out with a whimper you know you need to you need to be proud of it and, I, and he's a good boss Clive was a great boss because for me to be let go and still adore him and the way that he was just like I was being treated like an adult <laughs> you know what I mean it just yeah, absolutely. He's, he's, he's a really good good boss and he let me go and I still love him so you know that's how good a boss he was so I'm just just the question is that voodoo doll behind you with the pins in the head that is not Clive. <laughs> it's not Clive. It's someone though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, next move is when you and I uh, get into a relationship. Of course, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. you go to to BRMB. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that happen? Uh, I needed a job, and so <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I spoke to David Lloyd, who I'd known for many years because he's a Nottingham guy and uh, I of course knew him from when we were at Trent and he said oh we got this opportunity will you come uh to Birmingham and so yeah it was as simple as that like I just was out of a job at the right time that they needed somebody so yeah I, I I took that on and I was thrilled really because moving from London to Birmingham didn't seem like a bad move. Yeah, yeah. Like I was still living in a city, which I was then really used to, and it still felt exciting. So, yeah, it was a good next move from London, that's for sure. Of course, Juliana and I came in to do a drive, and you doing breakfast, the Joe show, with Dino. Yes. And um, it's funny to talk about this, because some people listening to this podcast will have been pre-Araya Media, and some like yourself and I, uh, we were part of BRMB because of Orion Media. And, yeah, yeah. and from, I don't know how you felt, but at the time I was so excited by the whole thing. Yeah, me too. Do you too. remember? Yeah. I do. I remember because it just felt like we were going to take over the world. You did. <laughs> that's, how it, that's how it felt. And, I, and like I loved those days. And it felt like Orion Media was 
big enough to make some moves, but small enough where we could affect it, if that makes yeah. sense. Like yeah, it no, really absolutely. felt like, and it felt like we were, I mean, I had a few rocky Jesus first month or so when like before, I, I'm obviously with Sparky now and he came a bit later on. But yeah, when, yeah. when I first got there, there were a, a lot of people there who did not want change and certainly did not want me around. And so there was a lot of uh, evil looks, but you know, ho-hum, you get on with it, don't you? And so, yeah, it was a bit tricky, but it felt like eventually it felt like a real team where we just wanted to win. And yeah, I, re I, did, I loved it for that. Birmingham's a great, a great city to work in. Do you know, the thing is though, is that I feel that I pussyfoot around that subject a bit with people that were pre-Orion. I, I just go, yeah, it must've been awful. But actually... For me, I never dreamt of ever getting on a station like BRMB. So that was an achievement in itself. To work with Giuliano, who I loved, you know, that was mm. even better. And then I, I was just really excited. And then and then you were working there and um, Robin Banks, of course, they brought yeah, in. Yeah. Tim Shaw. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and some people that were there previous, you know, I mean, there were some incredible people there. And yeah, it was funny, wasn't it? Because I don't think it's really talked about is that I was kind of bouncing, or we were bouncing around our side going, yeah, go Orion. And then you've got the people <laughs> behind the cupboard going, who are them toss pots? Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, got, I, I remember going to, it was welcome drinks when uh, Dino and I first started. So we go to Lloyd's Bar, welcome drinks. And I mean, I won't name names, but there were two women who absolutely just stared me down all night and it did not make me feel welcome at all. No. It was horrible. And it was like, they just didn't want change. They thought it was all shit and it was all going to be shit. And, you know, I'm like, whatever, we're, we're all adults. Come on, let's get on with it. Let's have and a drink. Is, yeah, yeah. And, and have it, can I just say a side note to talking to Joe now, if you ever have the opportunity of having a glass of wine with Joe, do it. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> but buy it. For obviously, buy, buy <laughs> me you, one. You've got your $5 million, dollars, Joe. You don't need anyone buying you a I'm glass so of wine. I'm so excited by that. I can't even <laughs> tell you. <laughs> all right, so... Um, Obviously, you go to BRMB to do breakfast. You then come off breakfast, mm -hmm. which gives me the biggest opportunity of my career. So thank you for that. It's a pleasure. But you go to drive. Yes. Um, and then you eventually team up with Sparky. Yeah, Sparky came up from uh, Portsmouth. He did. Uh, yeah, he came up. And we found Sparky on a, an awards tape. Uh, I thought you were going to say a dating website then. We, I found him, we were on Tinder. <laughs> we both swiped each other. No, we found Sparky on a, an awards tape. David found David Lloyd found him. And he, he was the sidekick on the show that he was on, but the awards tape was him. So we were like, oh yeah, this guy can tell stories. So uh, yeah, we got him up and he was, um, he'd never moved out of his hometown before. This is a young boy. And like he's married with two kids now. So it's weird me talking about these days, but yeah, he was a uh, this this young lad, like full of stories, full of joy and dreams, and we essentially interviewed him in the picture and piano, <laughs> talking of food. Did you? Yeah, we went and he got the train up, so we we just went and had a drink. I'm a real big believer in just have a drink with someone, and and your relationship and your friendship will be ten times better Absolutely. immediately. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we went and had a drink, and we just got him to tell loads of stories and he did and so they said will you come up again and and demo and like so we did we came in on a weekend and yeah we did a demo as live and yeah and, and we just we got on well I mean we've had our rocky patches Sparky and I where we did not like each other for a while um and it's but it's worked out because now you know we are the best of friends and and I'm glad we stuck it out because there were some rocky patches because we are like polar opposites in terms of we, we meet in the middle and we do make each other laugh, which is why it's it's always been okay. But yeah, in terms of our lifestyle and attitude to life, <laughs> we are polar opposites. But yeah, I'm glad, I'm really glad we stuck it out. He is a nice lad though, Sparky, isn't he? Yeah, it's twat at times, but I mean, he's... <laughs> And he would say the same about me, so it's fine. Uh, yeah, he is. He's great. He's great. And he's, you know, I mean, you wouldn't recognise him now. He's got two kids and he's married. And yeah, he's a, he's, a different, he's a different beast. But yeah, it's been a dad has made him. And so we have a completely flipped different show now, now that he's a dad. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been quite a privilege really to have been on that journey to see him grow up. Like I've stayed the freaking same. 
pisses me off when everybody p- people come up to me now and go oh, they're, they're, they're stood there right with three kids like you know 12 10 and 8 and they go oh I used to listen to you when I was at school I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, God, my life hasn't changed <laughs> why what how on earth can you have done that and look at you you listen to me at school you've your whole life's gone you've got three kids we're like what the fuck have I done still here still doing the same but yeah to see Sparky go through that whole journey and now be a dad is is yeah it's been really nice of course you go on to do free radio black country Shropshire breakfast with Sparky and then you move on to Gem it says here 2016 and oh, that was to do Saturday mornings then 2017 you go to Gem to do to do breakfast mm-hmm. what was that because you're going back home how did that feel yeah it feel it felt good I mean it's a different beast because we we, I'm back in Nottingham that's where the studios are but we do we cover Leicester and Derby as well so uh, Derby may have remembered me from Ram FM days but that feels like a lifetime ago Leicester could not have cared less <laughs> about me um, but yeah it was nice to come back home and, and I didn't live in the city I moved outside of the city so it felt like it was different because I always lived close to the city before so I didn't want it to feel like my old life I wanted it to feel different um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 Twiggy and I still get talked about all the time here. Like Sparky has to put up with a lot. Oh, Bay does, yeah. He has to put up with, oh, I was Twiggy all the time and getting called Twiggy every now and again. And, uh, so yeah, he's, he's, he puts up with that, but you know, he's met a Nottingham girl and, you know, got settled down and she used to listen to me when she was at school. So that's... <laughs> Again, great compliment. Never say it. It's <laughs> horrible. <laughs> but yeah, I, it did feel a bit like coming home. It felt, it did feel nice. Yeah, it's, and it was the right time for me to do it as well. I, you know, I don't think I could have done it before then. I don't think I would have been ready to face the beast of Nottingham before. But yeah, it's felt nice coming back. And are you, because of course, you know, Jem's now gone to, to DAB. Yes, so it's come off FM onto DAB. I mean, yes. what, how, how has that has that affected the show at all? Or people... we don't know yet, if I'm honest. Like because right. it's it only came off a couple of months ago, so we've not really had any figures to uh, to say that it's it's affected it at all. It was a, a tough sell to the listeners because they don't know what we're talking about. People just turn their bloody car on and they go, oh, is that Jem? It's fine. So it's been a bit of a tough sell, but only time will tell whether it's worked. But, you know, that's unfortunately the nature of the Ken Bruce beast because what's happened is Greatest Hits Radio has taken our FM uh, in the East Midlands so that they can sell advertising more that's essentially what it is uh because because of ken and that's absolutely fine that's their decision and i do some shifts on greatest hits radio every now and again so in a way i'm still there (laughs) so the future for you joe is greatest hits if you're listening now bosses you've heard how hard i work happy to double up you know me (laughs) but it's the truth is that as i get older I I need to be on an older brand and I don't want to stop doing it. And I love doing Greatest Hits. And that, again, has been a real learning curve for me because, because it's a solo show. It's me. There's no producer around that I can chat to or there's nobody else I can put on apart from the listeners. And so that is a, has been a really great learning curve. But they, they, they kind of leave me to it and are very wonderful to me and complimentary and I'm enjoying doing it as a different challenge now it's it's far more relaxing than doing a breakfast show every day that's for sure and it's the music I grew up with so it's it's just a joy to do it's a real joy to do any regrets um I don't I don't think I don't think there are any regrets because I've not like I've not had a job offer that I've turned down or anything like that. The only, the I guess the only thing that still upsets me is the Christian O'Connell debacle. Um, but but you know it it has all worked out fine. I'm crazy happy. So I don't think I have any regrets. No. Oh yeah. I ask our guests every single episode. Who's the one person that you would like to hear on on Crunch and Roll? Well. Can I only pick one? Well, Joe, I mean, look, I love you, so you can pick as many as you want. Thank you. So Johnny Vaughan, one, do it. 
Richard Bacon, two, do it. Lisa Tarbuck, three, do it. And if I don't mention Sparky, <laughs> he'll fucking freak out. So Sparky. <laughs> You've forgotten Twiggy. He hasn't died since we, we hit oh, the corner. If you not had Twiggy on, sorry, I obviously assumed you'd have had him on before me. What I meant to say was, and Twiggy. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Joe, thank you so much for being on Crunch and Roll. It's, it's been lovely to see you, even albeit over over camera, but um, it's been, I, would, I didn't know half of this, so it's been genuinely fascinating. So thank you very much for your time and and, and, and being on, on this episode. Pleasure, absolute pleasure. Have you have you done voiceover work before? Um, I'm a bit shit at voiceovers and I don't really <laughs> get voiceover work. But remember Paul Kay? Were you around in the Paul Kay days? Yeah, yeah, I love oh, Paul Kay. Okay, yeah. so Paul Kay was our boss and he moved to uh, Canada and when he moved there, he asked me to do some voiceovers for Virgin Radio for free. Oh, really? So, yeah. So I was like the voice of one of his freaking station competitions. And then like six months later, he was like, oh, do you want to do me some more? And I was like, yeah, do you want to pay me? And I've never heard from him since. And that is not a joke. <laughs> Paul is listening to this. That. I have never heard from him since I said, hello, would you like to pay me for voiceovers? <laughs> T- turns out he didn't like to pay me for voiceovers. So <laughs> that's so, yeah. You, you'll be pleased to know that PK does listen to these. So uh... <laughs> shout out, PK. <laughs> and also, if you are listening to this, PK, remember the hat incident. That's okay. that. <laughs> so we'll leave that one. <laughs> that's me right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, generally, thank you so much. Can you please take us away with the end credits? You've been listening to Crunch and Roll with me, Joe Russell. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app to get every new episode as soon as they drop. Crunch and Roll is a 969 media production presented by John Fox and produced by Simon Borofsky. Oh, yeah. You pay me for that voiceover, yeah? <laughs> PK, send me the cash. <laughs>